So I, I like to put myself through these uh, little different realms just to practice discipline. Like last year, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to try to lose muscle uh, because I've been training for 20 years and eating six meals a day. Let's see if I can change this pattern because I think what's unfortunate is that some people are influenced, obviously, by their parents, good or bad, or their environment, or maybe they got bullied. And that leads to other issues down the line. And I think it's very good and healthy for us, much like we change our training of our bicep workout in order for our bodies to adapt to a new stress. We have to exercise our brain the same because people don't do that. They do the same thing every year. And then maybe at the end of their years, there is regret because they didn't exercise their brain and see the adventure that's really out there. Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to take the time to remind and possibly inform you all out there in podcast universe about this show we call the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast, also known as the CEP. Now, we are a variety show, and our mission is to become an internationally recognized hub where creative and motivational forces from across the planet can showcase their talents for the world to hear and see. Be sure to subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download all the great podcasts that you love so much. And if you choose, you can also download the episodes on the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. Now, for this episode of the CEP, we bring you the very motivational Chris Geffen. Chris began his journey on a farm in Wales, but ended up traveling the globe and making waves in the world of fitness and nutrition. His resume is extensive, and so let me just narrow this down to Chris's current projects. He is an internationally recognized nutritionist, a personal trainer who has transformed a crapload of people through his online trainers. He's the CEO of Caged Muscle Supplements, co-founder of Chris Geffen Gyms, and founder of HealthKick.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-K-I-K.com. Be sure to follow Chris Gethin on the socials and check out his website at Chris Gethin, that's K-R-I-S-G-E-T-H-I-N.com to learn more about Chris and his products, including the Dynamic Transformation Principle, or DTP, which is sure to whip your butt right into shape. We had a fantastic time conversing with Chris, and we know you all will enjoy this episode. So without further introduction, here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always is my good friend Colt. You know it. And on the line with us today, we have Chris Gethin. How are you doing today, Chris? Everything's A-OK, brother. It's uh, beautiful here in Boise. And uh, whereabouts are you at? We are in the St. Louis area, just about an hour south of St. Louis, yeah. St. Louis, got it. There's a big military base out there, isn't there? There is one close by, just across the... What we're talking about? Uh, well, uh, Scott Air Force Base is just on the other side of the border there in Illinois, okay. I believe. Gotcha. So. Uh, okay, yeah. I, I think I've got to come and visit there in uh, September. Nice. So that's, why it, uh, that's why it just uh, caught my ear. So, out of curiosity, why are you visiting that military base? Explain to us why you'd do such a thing. So, I do these military base visits every now and again. You know, uh, that could be for, like, GNC or Vitamin Shop. It's usually GNC, actually. They may be stocking... Uh, you know, my supplement line and uh, that military base, you know, generally the military bases have the biggest GNC turnovers than any other GNCs in the nation. Uh, so, you know, they are, they're, they're a fan of my work. They asked me to come out there and do some uh, seminars, talks, stuff like that. And I don't mind getting a workout there on their obstacle courses or whatnot at the same time. Nice. So you said you're in Boise right now? 
Yeah, in Boise, Idaho. Now, do you actually live in Boise now, or are you just visiting? Yeah, yeah. I moved out here originally. I was living in L.A. Uh, up until 2007. Then I came up to Boise, Idaho as the editor-in-chief of Bodybuilding.com. So I was the editor-in-chief until like 2011, moved overseas for several years, and then, you know, I've got my green card. So I decided, you know what, I love Boise. So I came back some years ago. Nice. So you got your green card because you are originally from Wales. Is that correct? From Wales, yes. Yeah. Grew up on a farm in Wales. Uh, I left there late 90s, though. Got mm. my qualifications um, at college for international health and sports therapy. That took me on cruise liners for a while. Then I was living in Australia, built up a business there, eventually got a gym, then got rid of everything to move to L.A. to try to make it as a writer. Uh, which I did, and then that led to me being the editor-in-chief of uh, BBCom. That's interesting. First of all, what kind of farm were you on in, in Wales? What what was we your... We had all sorts. Yeah. You know, we had sheep. Mainly, it's mainly a cattle or, and sheep. You know, it definitely wasn't uh, harvesting or plantation other than the hay okay. we would harvest. And that was pretty much it, you know. But we had all sorts. We had chickens, turkeys, sheep, donkeys, horses, you name it. That's interesting. Do you still ever like think about, do you have animals now? Or is that something that you would like to do again ever? Or is that just something where oh, you come I from? I got, some, I got some chickens at the back. You know, where I am in Boise, I don't live on a farm. But we are an, out of town enough to have some chickens. So we got chickens. We got a garden patch here where we grow our own vegetables and our herbs and all that sort of stuff. So try to have as much farm to table as possible and whatever we can't. The rest comes from the local, uh, you know, farmers market and stuff. I got to admit, I know very little, if anything, about Wales. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, but I, I'm just wondering, how big of a culture shock was it for you to go from a farm in Wales uh, to LA, especially? I mean, how different was that for you to go from point A to point B? Uh, not that bad, actually, because like I traveled a lot. Like I came over to the U.S. in the '90s, you know, staying at hostels. Going, you know, taking the Greyhound bus, and I've done that before at several places. And uh, you know, then I, when I was working on the cruise liner, I, for me to get the training, I had to move to London for the for the training. And then, you know, I had to. I was going out of Fort Lauderdale and Miami when I was on the cruise liners for like eight months. And then from there, I moved to Sydney, Australia. Okay. Um, so that was, I'd say, a little bit more of a shock than anything. But I felt that I plugged myself into the social pipeline pretty quick you know i got myself a job in a gym within like 24 hours of landing just you know putting weights away and stuff like that and then you know next thing i know i'm in the street giving away newspapers and these little tetra packs of up and go drinks are called and you know the lint ball chocolates they had just come out <laughs> at that time as well so i was even in shopping malls with trays these silver trays giving out these balls you know so uh, I, I, I plugged myself into that pipeline pretty quick, just anything I could do to make ends meet and using my cardio basically to go door to door, putting in trifolds of, uh, you know, personal training, uh, little, little post-its. So at that point, did you know what you wanted to do for sure? Like how big you wanted to, how big you wanted to get, how far you wanted to take it? No, I, I didn't have a, a, a vision on how far I wanted to take it because I just, you know, much like what I do today, I just take every day as it comes. Whatever I do today will dictate where I am tomorrow and so on and so forth. I have like a vision board of various things, but back then, 
I didn't have a vision board. I just wanted to kind of do this thing that I was able to retain because there was a lot of frustration uh, for me in like the schooling system because uh, I wasn't interested in, in any of it. You know, I knew I wasn't going to be a scientist. I knew I wasn't going to do anything with religious education. So I didn't see any point in me being in school at that time. And I hated it. You know, I, I'm, I'm not, I know the industry that I'm in, you have to kind of be a little bit, you have to be socially active. But I was never a real sociable person. You know, I was happy just being on the farm and having an adventure and riding my motorbike wasn't into people much, you know, so school being, you know, covered in people wasn't my place that I felt comfortable. Mm. But when I started studying, you know, health, fitness, I was able to retain that content. I found it fascinating. So I knew it was something I just wanted to pursue. I just didn't know where to take it. So with several people that we've talked to, Chris, over the, the course of our podcast, we run into some people who were on a track something that they had a passion for, something that they really wanted to do, and then life happens, right? And life happens all the time. It's something that everybody can connect with, everybody can connect to. And I know you've probably told the story a thousand times, but I feel like it's such an important story for everybody to hear as far as where you started and, and how you got to where you are. And so I know that you were a motocross rider, and then life happened. So if you could just kind of give us a, an overview of that story and how things kind of fell into place for you from then to the point you are right now in the present. Sure. You know, well, I guess, you know, everybody finds that, uh, comf that comfort zone within their life that's very therapeutic, and motocross was definitely that. You know, uh, like I said, I didn't really interact with people much. I probably had more I could relate more than animals uh, than I could humans. Uh, but going on my motocross bike, you know, and just racing that, that made me feel good because I do like adrenaline fixes and it just makes me feel alive that I have some type of purpose. So, you know, much of my childhood, probably from the age of like six up until 20 years old, you know, every weekend I was away racing somewhere and I just loved it. I loved the competitive nature of it. Uh, I definitely didn't have the talent uh, or natural talent as a lot of other riders, but I, I was pretty good at leaving my brain at the start line and just kind of going for it. But unfortunately, that led to me being in, you know, injured a lot. And uh, I wasn't the smoothest of riders, so that led to a severe curvature of my spine and uh, to the extent that I was bedbound uh, for quite a while, several months. And I was, you know, seeing all sorts of specialists massage therapists, osteopaths, chiropractors, acupuncture, uh, you name it. And it wasn't until I started going through rehab uh, when I started to feel some type of alleviation of the pain that I was experiencing in my spine because my muscles were becoming more taut. There's taking the stress away from my skeleton. And uh, I started to feel better because now through that, I started to eat a little bit better. I kind of I cut back on the drink, and I was definitely doing a lot of drink and drugs because I didn't have my motocross. I needed to get that fix elsewhere, and I didn't. I wasn't somebody that was that partied that much. Um, so that you know, life become a white knuckle ride all of a sudden. But then when I started weight training, I started getting alleviated from that, and that kind of pulled me away from the direction. I was going and uh, I decided then to go to college and study it for several years because I was able to retain this content, nothing like I could have done in school or in the past. 
and just become fixated with it. I enjoyed it and started training. And within a year and a half of training, I competed in my first show. It wasn't a drug-tested show. I had no idea there was such a thing as uh, non-drug-tested and drug-tested. So that wasn't a tested show. So I was definitely the smallest person there, but I came in very, very lean and got second in that show and decided to pursue it uh, more from there. And uh, then I went and worked on uh, cruise liners with those qualifications. Unfortunately, it led to a bigger party on the cruise liners uh, than it did in Wales. So I had to get out of that uh, within eight months and move to Australia. And because um, I, I met people on a cruise liner from Australia and uh, then used that as a platform for my business to try to grow and make a career out of this and uh, my competitive career. So I take I'd taken on another sport, and that was natural bodybuilding. And I found the AMB, the Australian Natural Bodybuilding Federation, in uh, Australia. I went and watched a show, and I saw this person on stage, Mark Costanti. And I thought, there is no way that guy can be natural. No way. He was shredded, veins all over his abs and chest, and he was huge. But then I got to know Mark. I eventually become his training partner and just realized that this guy's training and dedication and power, uh, passion and obsession was just on another level. And I needed to emulate that if I wanted to emulate the physique that he had, which was natural. But he was doing unnatural things with his training, with his nutrition, with his obsession to get these quote-unquote uh, unnatural results. So that's what led me down the path of uh, natural bodybuilding. Wow. So do you find it, do you, do you, do you put natural bodybuilding up on a pedestal just because it is natural? Somebody can manipulate their body that much without the use of any enhancements. Does that give you a little bit bigger of a, an ego as far as, you know, and I don't, I don't know if ego is the right word, but it seems to me like I, I put that kind of up on a, a higher pedestal because you didn't have the other, the other, you know, enhancements to use to, to get bigger. You just shred out without using those, those other, uh, the drugs. Right. Uh, well, do you know what, to be honest with you, I, I don't. I don't put it up on a pedestal. Mm. Uh, the reason being is that I've got a lot of friends that compete like in non-tested events such as the IFBB, and usually they are much, much smarter, and I'm generalizing, obviously, when it comes to their use of these extracurricular supplements mm-hmm. than the people that you see going into the gym uh, and taking these, these the, the steroids for like recreational use or whatever, thinking they know what they're doing, or maybe they've searched online and seen what other people are doing, and those are the ones that will put themselves in jeopardy. It isn't generally the professional, because the people at the top tiers of the professional sport, I notice they have their blood tests taken, they take time off and all that sort of stuff. It's not something that I'm going to suggest someone to do, but if you look at people, for instance, like on the Olympia stage, would get off steroids tomorrow, you'd probably still have the same place. However, they would be much smaller, you know, but they'd probably have the same pecking order. You've got the winner here, you've got the second here, you've got last place here. Mm. But I think uh, what where people definitely go wrong is that they think they need to take stuff to get like that, and if they don't get like that, they have to take more. So you just realized early on that you didn't need that to get to the goals that you wanted? 
Yeah, that, that's never been my goal. I've never wanted to look like that. I respect it 100%. And of course, I want to learn from people like that. Like, am I going to want to look like Dorian Yates? No. Do I want to learn from him? Hell yeah. Right. You know, much like if I'm going to go to the local golf, golf club there and there's a local, let's say, pro golfer, but Tiger Woods is there too. And I get to choose my instructor. Of course, I'm going to go for Tiger Woods. You know, it's just uh, the name of the game, I guess. And uh, even though I've really enjoyed competing in uh, natural bodybuilding, because I, I like to be versatile, I like to participate in various things, and the most important thing to me is my heart health. Um, but at the same token, I'd probably never go to watch a natural bodybuilding show um, because it's attainable. I like to see a freak show, so that's why I'll go to the Arnold or the Olympia. I like to see freaks. I like to see something that is unattainable uh, to me. Whether I want to be like that, you know, probably not. But I want to see a spectacle. Right. That's interesting. Uh, very, very good point, though, as far as the intelligence, the the mental, uh, just how smart you've got to be, how much information you've got to have, and then the discipline you've got to have to use, as you call it, extracurricular supplements in, in order to uh, stay healthy and, and get big. It's not a haphazard way of life that they live. It's very, very calculated and they're very careful. They're professionals at that level. And so that's a very good point. I, I love how you put that. And then to say that you're going to see kind of a freak show that's unattainable to you also makes a lot of sense. We don't often go see like even in professional other, other athletics, such as baseball or, or, or football or whatever you go see, those guys are out there. They're doing things that they do every day that I don't do. If it was things that I, I do myself, I probably wouldn't pay to pay the ticket to go see them. Right. Right. Great points. Love it. So you had mentioned that you're editor in chief at bodybuilding.com. So you still are currently. No, no, no. I gave no. up that role uh, some years ago because okay. now I'm a vendor there. I have my own supplement line. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it would be a little bit contradictory if I was to be the editor-in-chief and still have my supplement line. So I okay. stepped away from uh, position and uh, focused everything on uh, the cage muscle supplements. Mm -hmm. Right. So you mentioned cage muscle. Where did that name come from? Uh, so I had I published a ma my own magazine when I was living in L.A. Uh, so I was working for Weeder Publications. I had both a writer's and photographer's uh, contract there for a couple of years. But... Um, I wanted something more raw and more real. And I have an obsession with mixed martial arts as well. So I do like, you know, the UFC or now the PFL and Bellator and stuff like that. And uh, I taught uh, kickboxing for several years when I was in Australia. Uh, so I've always liked uh, martial arts. You know, not so I did karate as a youngster, but I was never really into that. Uh, but I, I still had this interest with bodybuilding and muscle. So my name being spelt with a K, right. I thought Caged Muscle would be the perfect publication to cover both areas. So I did cover both MMA and bodybuilding in my magazine uh, that was alive for two years before I got the position of editor-in-chief of BBCom. So that's where it originated from. And then that was my handle on Body Space, which is you know the, the, basically the Facebook community right. for fitness enthusiasts on bodybuilding.com. So it kind of just stuck from there. So why supplements? What got you into the supplement business in the first place? I, I always find that interesting because, I mean, you've got to really have a, a strong buy-in into what you're doing 
to think I want to help other people to do this at, at this level. And and having a, your own line of supplementation, that's no small task. That's no small thing. You've got you're you're in a market where it, it's it's pretty competitive, right? There are some there's some big names out there with some good supplements and and for for Chris Gethin to, to get into the market and think this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to supply a, an awesome product, you got to have a pretty good idea about what you're doing, right? So what was your idea? How'd you get into that? Yeah, it was definitely an all or nothing idea, I tell you that. Yeah. And it was very risky, except myself and my business partners, we really believed in this. So number one, when I started doing videos, I started getting in front of the camera, which I was very uncomfortable with uh, in the beginning. But you know, bodybuilding.com was quite small, and I was the only person that was competing at that time. So Ryan DeLuca, the founder, encouraged me to get in front of the camera and educate these people on what I used to do, how I used to do it. So then I had a responsibility. And when I was suggesting supplements or taking supplements, I realized I needed to get some of these tested. So I used to get some tested when I was in the UK and here in the US. And uh, I was quite shocked to find out how those tests came out, um, particularly when I had some smaller companies that I've never really heard of come out like tip top. But then there's these massive companies that we all trust that everybody knows. And I was getting them tested and they were way below uh, what they were basically claiming on their on their bottles. So I, I realized, wow, if I'm, to, if I'm to actually suggest these, how do I know for sure? Do I put my hands together and hope what I say is in the actual bottle? Or where, where do I go from here? So I actually started using my own, well, sourcing single form ingredients and making my own concoctions, but realizing that wasn't going to be convenient or logical for the most of the people that are watching. Uh, we decided to start looking into creating our own products that would be efficacious dosages, but use products and ingredients that are backed up with the studies and research to show it was this source, it was in this amount to show uh, that was backed by the research and studies to have a positive effect. So, uh, you know, we decided to start looking at fermentation because the majority of people, especially back then, had no idea that the majority of BCAAs and glutamine were derived from human hair, bird feathers, or animal fur using a very harsh chemical extraction. But you know, all of us within the supplement industry knows it. But you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna uh, fly that flag and let everyone know that. So that's why we started looking into fermented uh, products, fermented ingredients. And after about 18 months of sourcing. And, uh, you know, finding all these ingredients that we decided that we were going to launch with it. And my business partners, both of which that were at bodybuilding.com prior, the CFO, Michael McLean, uh, the president, and uh, Brian Rand, who formulated a lot of the supplement lines there, you know, such as the Platinum Series with bodybuilding.com, the gym supplement science line. Uh, so... This was the first time that he wasn't working for a brand, but he was involved with the brand as well. So he had free reign to do whatever he wanted. If he wanted efficacious dosages, uh, uh, patented ingredients, organic ingredients, and of course I wanted to have them naturally flavored and colored and make sure that we, we were adhering to the Prop 65 Act of all heavy metal contaminants, etc. We were able to do that. Of course... 
it was a massive investment. You know, I, I had like a food line back then, which was called Nutrition by Design. I had to sell that in order to put everything into this. And, uh, you know, I, I have some friends that are founders and CEOs of other supplement companies. They thought we were crazy, uh, to be honest with you, uh, launching with single form ingredients as opposed to like a pre-workout or anything like that. Mm. But because it was something different and we won't bring out a product unless we truly believe it is the best. Like we're not going to be a Me Too brand and come out with a protein bar if we feel, feel that other companies already have a best protein bar, for instance. We'll come out if we think that we can do something better. And we did that, uh, but we did it in the mind that we probably aren't going to make much money from this. We can either put all of our money into marketing and advertising and social ads, or we can put it all into the product and make a very sharp margin. However, it feels like we, we, we've got purpose because we feel that we have the best brand in the world. Even though everyone else says that, you know, I feel that we can prove it. Wow. So a lot of thought that went into that, but a, a long process, you know, and I think that's something that... Yeah, right. So, for instance, even today, it takes us about nine months even just to come out with a new flavor of a product because not only are we naturally flavoring and coloring, uh, which is a lot longer, but when you're actually trying to f naturally flavor the amount of the ingredients that we have, it's pretty hard. Like our scoop sizes are generally the biggest in the industry when it comes to our pre-workout, our intra-workout, our post-workout, etc. So it's a lot harder to flavor. Hmm. Yeah, that's something that's lost on a lot of people who, once again, aren't in the supplementation industry because we go to the store or we get online and we see it there on the shelf or on the virtual shelf and we buy it. And if we like it, if it works well, if we think it's, it has a, uh, efficacy, then we continue to buy it because we like what we're getting. All those months of hard work and that process that it takes to get to that point and the natural. I love how you how you keep talking about the natural flavoring, the natural coloring. You know, that's that's another thing that I'm always constantly looking for is something natural because we have too many artificial ingredients in our culture today and there's no telling what those ingredients are doing. So when it comes to something that's supposed to be geared toward your nutrition, toward your body being more fit and, and to be a better working machine, then you definitely want all natural ingredients as much as possible. It's huge. Yeah, a lot of these ingredients that are artificial, for instance, they're, they're banned in Europe. They're banned in the UK. And, or, and they'll have warning labels that accompany them. Um, you know, for instance, if, uh, if we didn't adhere to the Prop 65 Act of Heavy Metal Contaminants, we'd have to be like a lot of other brands. Some decide to and some uh, adversely decide not to. But you'd have to have the statement to say maybe cancerogenic or cause birth defects. Now, remember, we are in the health and fitness industry, whereas a lot of people are not healthy and their supplements are not focusing on their health. They just focus on performance or uh, you know, high-end stimulant with generic ingredients, and that's not really going to help our purpose. You know? And I always tell people all the time, okay, yeah, we want to perform. We want to be bigger. We want to be faster. We want to recover more efficiently. But do you want to harm your future in the process mm -hmm. or do you want to heal it? You know, half the you know, ingredients that you see in supplements, whether it be an artificial uh, ingredient or artificial color or something like that, you're not going to pick up a chicken breast and, you know, smother those ingredients on that chicken breast, would you? But that's pre pretty much what people do. They put it into their fluid and drink it several times a day. You know, there's a leading 
uh, uh, I'm not going to name any names. I, I don't want to uh, have any legislation against me. <laughs> right. But there's media premium post workout out there that has the equivalent to 50 packets of Splendor in their pre and post workout that people are consuming every day. And it's unbelievable, you know. But the thing is, unless you're actually going to put your hand in your pocket to test these products, you'd never know. Mm. Right. And I've seen some people, some people that I trust who uh, they're always pointing out when a company or a group is is outed as having subpar ingredients or disingenuous ingredients list based off of what's actually in their product. And I hate that anyone does that. I never want that to be the case, but I do appreciate when that comes to light because we need to know what we're putting in our bodies. And like you said, this isn't just for now. If I get a, a great burst right now and I'm able to hit the gym and really tear things up, but then it's going to cause me some kind of wicked disease 5, 10, 15 years down the road, then what really have I done? Was it, was it worth it? The answer is obviously no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, when, do, when some of these brands do get outed, a lot of people don't get to hear about it. You know, There's a couple of brands that got done last year or the year before for spiking their uh, their products with cow's urine to increase the nitrogen balance of it. You know, some of these proteins uh, came very, very high in heavy metal contaminants, but you don't hear about it, you know. It's much like, you know, if you've got somebody in another state that gets arrested for something, not everybody hears about it. And unfortunately, it's the same sort of thing unless you're on the forums. You know, generally, you're not going to find it. Hmm. Right. So I want to shift gears just a little bit, Chris. I want to talk about... Uh ultra marathons and Ironman, things like that. So following you, it seems to be that you are more interested in com competing with yourself and pushing yourself farther than really competing with other people. So right. I want I kind of want to dig into that a little bit and what, what makes you really want to do like an Ironman or an ultra marathon or anything like that. Yeah, I was never really into team sports. I played rugby a little bit at school, but I didn't like the pressure from other people or people having to depend on me. I can't stand that pressure still to this day. I always participate in individual sports like motocross. I raced downhill mountain biking for some years, and then obviously bodybuilding, and then ultramath and Ironman, etc. It's much an individual sport. I like to have my own thoughts and my own voices in my head uh, instead of others. And I'm definitely much more of a loner person. I'm very, very happy to go out on a 80 or 100 mile bike ride by myself on a weekend. And, uh, yeah, the reason why I do those things, it isn't always, hey, I'm going to do this for my health. I do it to practice discipline. And I've, I've mentioned this several times that, you know, as a culture, I feel that we're getting very soft. We're getting easy to kill. If we were put out into the environment, a lot of people would be dead within 48 hours, I think, because they're not used to the cold or being comfortable being uncomfortable. So I'd, I like to put myself through these uh, little different realms just to practice discipline, like last year I decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to try to lose muscle uh, because I've been training for 20 years and eating six meals a day. Let's see if I can change this pattern because I think what's unfortunate is that some people are influenced, obviously, by their parents, good or bad, or their environment, or maybe they got bullied, and that leads to other issues down the line, and I think it's very good and healthy for us, much like we change our training of our bicep workout in order for our bodies to adapt to a new stress. We have to exercise our brain the same because people don't do that. They do the same thing every year and then maybe at the end of their years there is regret because they didn't exercise their brain and see the adventure that's really out there. 
So I think we have to exercise that discipline quite often. So every day I'll do something that's uncomfortable, I guess, to a certain degree, whether that be meditating for 15 minutes, because it's hard to sit in your ass and go, you know what, I'm going to dedicate myself to this, even if I suck at it. And I like to do things that I suck at. If people say, well, you're going to suck at this, okay, sign me up, let's go, let's do it. Because you're only going to get better. You're only going to expand from it. And another reason why I got into like the hybrid athleticism is because I've always done cardio a couple of times a day. I just enjoy it, and it's good for my heart. And I suffered from asthma pretty bad as a kid, so I want to stay on top of that. But then, uh, you know, I'd always have people, whether it be friends, bodybuilders, training partners, coaches, saying you shouldn't do cardio every day. But I honestly feel that it allows me to recover because I'm getting a better blood flow through my body, which carries nutrients to my muscles, which allows me to recover. So then I thought, well, I'm going to go to the extreme then and prepare for an Ironman within six-month period go to the lab, show my muscle density, have the FTP test, have the lactate threshold, the DEXTA scan, etc., and come back in six months' time as well to see if I can put on muscle during that time, which I did. But I didn't train like a traditional triathlete. And when I got, rid of, when I got ready for an ultramarathon, I didn't train or eat like a typical marathon runner. So I had to be very selective on you know, how much volume I would train with in the gym. There's no way I was going to do like my dramatic transformation principle, which is very high volume. I had to bring the volume right down. Usually I'd train five or six days a week. I brought that down to four days of weight training. But let's say it was a leg day. I would go and smash and annihilate my legs and then go out for my run. So I used my weight training as a pre-fatigue method of the disciplines that I'd utilize to get ready for like an Ironman triathlon, for instance. Wow. So a lot of things to unpack here. First of all, it, it, it seems to me like maybe you're, you're, you're being a loner. I, I wonder if that comes from you growing up on a farm in Wales, right? You said that for you, sure, there's no doubt. yeah, you said that you kind of, you, uh, connected more with animals than human beings a lot of the times. And so that kind of yeah, makes well, sense. I connect with human beings more through, a book, you know, reading a book, or I love vinyl, you know, I just come back from Seattle, I got a couple more vinyls here, and sometimes, you know, I listen to a, a, you know, I'm really into music, if I hadn't a fan bodybuilding, I probably would be doing something in music, um, I connect with a lot of deep lyrical writers, and obviously when that person is writing that song, the people that are listening to it interpretate it different, you know, mm -hmm. so I think uh, David Grohl said the one thing he loves about playing at a, at a festival or, you know, a live gig is that he is singing a song, but he's got thousands of different stories being sung back to him. Mm. And uh, so I, I find I do get connection through people, but sometimes a little bit out of fire. I'm better in front of people, to be honest with you, than with people. That's interesting. So, because I noticed you do some motivational speaking and things like that, right? Is that correct? Yeah, a lot of that. That's probably the favorite part of my job. I absolutely love doing that. Yeah, and I think that's important. It's important because of your your background and the the trials and and the how well you are in touch with yourself. That's another thing that just that just hit me as you were speaking. I don't I don't think a lot of people would have had the introspection to sit there and think, you know, I, I'm not good at team sports because I don't really connect with people. I'm going to focus on myself and just challenge myself to excel to beat myself. 
and, and to become competitive within myself. I, that might happen naturally for some people. But it sounds like this was, you know, you had this thought out. And I think a lot of people, if they don't, if they don't succeed in team sports, they might just give up on sports, right? They might go, they might indeed just go pick up a guitar or, or just, you know, just kind of fall by the wayside and do whatever comes their way instead of really challenging themselves at that point. So it seems to me like yeah. you, you had a, a very in tune sense of self going through your process of, of development. Yeah, it definitely wasn't purpose. I'd say I, I probably stumbled across it. I just, I, I'm, I've never really been, I don't know, I don't, I don't like the competition as much with other people, like you said, as opposed to yourself. Mm. Because you can easily come up short when you compare yourself to other people. And I find that definitely now with Instagram, people are dealing with a lot of depression because they see the filtered pictures, they see the car, they see the homes. And they are coming up short because they see what is materialistic possession and a facade that cannot be relatable to them, however they want to. And all you've got to do is be a little bit better than what you were. And we do, do all have the power for that. There's so much lower hanging fruit out there that's free. Like you said, the meditation or having a cold shower or getting out for a run. You know, we can do that and feel better about ourselves and you know, have good food choices in front of us. But a lot of people don't go for that because they're trying to chase someone else's goals. And you're always going to come up short. You know, I'm never going to be tall, dark, and handsome. So forget that. I'll do what makes me a little bit better. And if I can go to bed at night and go, you know what? I succeeded at that one thing today. Then that's all you can do, you know, because life is very, very short. And it's probably my age saying this now. You have to take advantage of every day and be present to a certain degree. But I always look to the future as well. And I think, okay, what is my 90 or 100-year-old person myself going to say to myself at the end of this? Is he going to say you should have worked harder? You should have really gone for that car, spent more time on Instagram? Or do you think he should have focused a little bit more on being present, being grateful, getting better, being happier, being feeling comfortable in his own skin i'd say you know because a lot of us aren't you know we are all we, we're never really happy and that's good to a certain degree it allows us to progress and move forward but there has to be some sort of comfortability within ourselves instead of comparison to others mm -hmm. yeah and, and being happy right i mean you got to find that that thing that makes you that gives you joy in life and to be present in that moment is that in and of itself is an enlightening experience, whether or not you practice mindfulness meditation or if you just at some point realize this is something special. This is something that really makes me happy and just bask in that moment because that's something right there. And that's something that if you're paying attention, you can do that all the time. It can happen over and over and over again in your life. As long as, like you said, you're not comparing yourself to other people, as long as you're not comparing yourself to even just like the, the status quo that society has laid out for us, like following, you know, my dad did this, so I've got to do this. Or, or, you know, this person out here who's in on the television does it this way, so I need to do it that way because that's what's going to get me recognized. you got to follow your own path. And I think being present in yeah. the moment is what that's all about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and luckily that, you know, I, I spend uh, – quite a bit of time you know, traveling to like third world countries where you see people who have very little but they're extremely happy they're comfortable their success is in their happiness but i know people that are very very wealthy and i've spent a lot of time with them and maybe these people are celebrities so they can't get out and do the things that they'd like to do but they're surrounded by materialistic possession but they're not as happy as that person 
in the shanty town, you know. So it's all perspective. And, uh, you know, like you said, you have to be present with that to a certain degree. And, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't as grateful as they possibly could be. But uh, I also see a lot of people just not as happy because they're feeding themselves with bad food choices. They're procrastinating. They've become soft, so they're not waking up when they should. They're sleeping in. Everything's being delivered to their door. They're spending all their time on this device. Mm. And they, so they lose who they really are. You know, they're not, they haven't got the clarity in their brain that they possibly could because they're not feeding themselves with the liquid or the food that they should be. Because if you look at a lot of the food that we have available to us today, it's not real food. It's not. It's manufactured to look and taste like food, but it's not. So we don't think that maybe we're tired or we have grogginess or there's some sort of issue that we have medically within us is because of the choices that we make every single day. We just think, okay, that's the card that I've been given. That's why I think a little bit slower. That's why I'm tired than this person. That's why I'm weaker. That's why I think this way. When a lot of it isn't, it's the external factors based on the decisions that you make every single day. And that's why I always say, make the decisions that's going to heal you, make you think faster, perform better, as opposed to the ones that's going to harm you and say, you know what, I guess I was just given a bad card. Hmm. So do you have anything off the cuff, any any way, any advice for people just to unhook from that? Because we do get sucked in, right? We get sucked into technology and to the daily grind. How, how can people eject? Yeah, well, it's balance, isn't it? You know, it's easy for me to say. But, you know, for instance, you know, do not use this thing for the first or the hour before you go bed. Mm. You know, leave it downstairs. Do not take it to the bedroom. Like I have... Uh, a setting on here so I don't get disturbed from a certain time to a certain time. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to be addicted to this thing. A lot of people get their dopamine fixed from that, much like they do from chocolate. So it's an addicting as soon as they wake up. What's going on? Um, you know, that's going to be the one thing just to have a digital detox every day uh, because a lot of people just get caught up into it. And, you know, <laughs> the amount of people, and I've done this so many times, I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to check that email. And then five minutes later, I'm like, what was I going to do on this device? Because mm. I've gone down the bloody rabbit hole, you know? Right. Um, right. So that's the one thing. And the other thing is like consistency and discipline. Because a lot of people say, hey, Chris, how do I get motivated to stay on track? You know, I started, but then I fell off or I got in shape and I got married. I don't rely on motivation because you're going to wake up some days with no motivation. Something happened with the family. There was an argument. You got fired. So motivation will always go. You have to really focus on your discipline, on doing shit on days that you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Because that's what all successful people do, whether they're athletes, bodybuilders, CEOs. They do stuff on days, late nights, weekends, when there's a party outside, when everyone's gone to the lake. But you make the short-term sacrifice in order to see the success. And a lot of people do not make that sacrifice, so they'll never feel the success. They'll only feel anxiousness and depression because mm. they didn't reach the goals that they set out uh, to do. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people just try to work harder because in the day of entrepreneurship, everyone's an entrepreneur. It's like, okay, hit the grind. Work from this hour to this hour. No days off. And I think that's wrong. It's the wrong message to a certain degree, unless you're really passionate about it and you enjoy it and it doesn't feel like work. I think you just have to work more efficiently and be smarter. And I definitely learned that from Ryan DeLuca, the founder of uh, Bodybuilding.com, because 
he never really seemed like he was overworking, but he did so much, it blew my mind. I was like, how is this guy doing so much? He had his finger in every single pie. He knew everybody's job better than they knew it. But he seemed so efficient. He always had time for his family. He's always going away from weekends. And it just all came down to efficiency. So I've always just tried to be efficient. You know, I'm talking to you right now while I'm on my desktop treadmill. I've done uh, nearly two miles since I've been talking to you. <laughs> I do cardio in the morning. and I happen to be on a Stairmaster or stationary bike. A lot of the time I'm listening to an audio book or a podcast, but I'm getting through my emails at the same time. Because that's the only way I can get through the days that I want, you know, do some stuff and have some time off to myself and, you know, spend time with my fiance or go away for a weekend, you know. So you have to have that balance, but you have to be efficient. Yeah. And I don't want to miss the irony of a motivational guy, a motivational speaker like yourself telling people to stop trying to be motivated, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> because you're not always going to have that motivational spark. You're going to have to get up and do stuff when you don't feel like it. You're going to have to keep going and, and and get up and work out or whatever it is. Spend time with the family. Uh, go out and, and work your job. Whatever it is that you, you're going to do, you have to do that sometimes when you just don't feel like it. You do it anyway. You keep pushing through because you have your goals in mind, right? You have things that you want to get accomplished. And so I, I just, I wanted to bring that up, the, the irony. And I've heard some very successful, very motivational people say the exact same thing. Stop waiting to be motivated or because you're going to fall short. Yeah, yeah, that's where discipline has to come in. Just mm -hmm. like, you know, brushing your teeth in the morning, you know, you have to, that isn't, you're not motivated to brush your teeth. It's discipline. Right, that's right. So we want to be mindful of your time, Chris. Uh, if you could, I, I want to point people to your website, chrisgethin.com. Very easy to find. Wealth of information there, and everything that you do is basically that's your launching pad for for what you do. But if you could talk about the DTP for a moment and the the genesis of that, and um, I, I'm just I'm very curious about it. It's the dramatic transformation principle, and so how does this work, and how did you uh, why did you, you develop it, and how? Uh, well, I developed the DTP uh, transformation principle because I used to do what was called like hit training which is much like Mike Mentzer, Dorian Yates, very low repetitions, uh, only like three sets, one to three sets actually, but very, very heavy. So I used to train very heavy. I was you know, squatting seven plates a side. Uh, doesn't seem that much in this day and age really, but you know, dumbbell pressing with 170 pounds. Uh, but I just found that I was always dealing with some sort of inflammation in my knees, in my lower back, obviously without the curvature. Um, my elbows, bicep tendons. So I thought, well, I'm either going to continue training like this, which I'm not enjoying now, and weight training is definitely not a purpose for bodybuilding, but the therapeutic. Or I'm going to have to take. I'm going to either going to have to take time off or do something different. So that's why I thought, well, I'll continue to train, but go very, very, very high repetitions and a lot less stress like onto the muscles uh, and onto the connective tissues, such as your tendons, ligaments. Uh, and shorten my rest periods. So that's what I started doing, uh, m mainly around 50 repetitions. And then as that felt a little bit more comfortable, I'd increase the weight and go like 40 repetitions. And then a week or two weeks after that, maybe 30 repetitions and continue to do that. But I'd always start off my warm-up set, which when I say warm-up, it'd still be the failure, at that 50 repetition mark. And then 40 and 30. And then the week after is maybe 50, 40, 30, 20. But what I noticed as I was kind of rehabbing through this, I found that I was getting a different shape, more separation, definition, 
throughout my muscle structure. I think as because I was tuning out through a lot, lot of calories as well during that uh, intense period. So I started to adapt it because it wasn't putting the stress on my connected tissue and my joints as it once did. Mm. Uh, so it kind of just stuck from there. And then um, I started certifying a lot of trainers uh, in the UK and in, in uh, India mostly because they're very uneducated. They're you know, very passionate, but the education system was definitely lagging. So we trained like over 800 trainers in, um, in India alone with the DTP principle. And I have a gym franchise there now that trains uh, a lot of clients through those principles amongst others. So once again, a process and very, very calculated. And it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that traditional, or at least maybe typical, however you want to frame it, the workout was causing you inflammation period, uh, or, or you, you in particular, do you feel like that's across the board? Do, do a lot of people who are lifting heavy weights in shorter reps, uh, smaller reps, are, are they experiencing the same kind of inflammation? Is this something that could be useful across the board? Is it a certain body type, or I'd say it's more so for certain body types. Okay, but I, you know, based on everything that I've seen from results of you know thousands of clients that have followed my video series, mm -hmm. it works for everybody. There's no doubt about it. But what I'm saying is, there's a lot of people that can train within the usual six to twelve rep range and not ever experience every, any problems. And I think that's going to be more of a mesomorphic body structure, uh, you know, who have bigger joints and maybe they've trained at a younger age, mm. uh, like, like that. Like if you look at Johnny Jackson or Branch Warren, for instance, they've always trained since their teenage years the way that they train today. Would I suggest a lot of people do that starting out? No. Absolutely not. not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, it's, uh, but people are quick to look down upon their training style. But it's like they've done that since their teenage years. It works for them, and they've built this connective tissue and structure to support it so they can do that. But not everybody can. You know, definitely I wouldn't suggest somebody in their mid or late 20s to kind of pick that up. Um, you know, maybe, maybe at, the, at their younger years. So it's all dependence across the board. But, uh, you know, I get a lot of people with all sorts of ages, gender, beginners, advanced using that training principle. It definitely can't hurt them if it's uh, done correctly. So to kind of tie things up, Chris, I want to push people towards your podcast as well. It's kind of interesting uh, listening to everything you've been saying, because by listening to your podcast, this is the kinds of things that I hear constantly. And uh, so Knowledge and Mileage podcast, uh, which I love the name of that for one. For two, literally the background on my phone for a while was a picture of you on a wall. It just said knowledge without mileage equals bullshit, which is That's the correct. perfect line. And I love it. But uh, I do. If you don't mind, go ahead and uh, dive into the podcast a little bit. Tell us what kind of knowledge you're trying to push to other people. And uh, are you really doing it to push it to other people or are you trying to learn yourself both? You know, how, how does that work? Yeah, it's definitely both because I get a lot of guests on uh, my podcast that probably wouldn't uh, otherwise give me the time of day. But it's great having a podcast because uh, they'll go, yeah, great, I'll be on there. So I get to learn a lot. And I have a diverse range of people. Uh, I've, I've had athletes like Jay Cutler, Daniel Bailey, Dorian Yates on there, you know, for the bodybuilding realms. Uh, but I love the health and biohacking community because that's something that I practice myself. You know, I've got my Juve lamp here, for instance, 
So if I can't get outside, I'll have my red infrared light there. So I, I get, you know, I, it, it fascinates me because I've made it very apparent that I want to live till I'm past 100 years old. So what can I do in this day and age where we are infiltrated with whether it be glyphosate, pollutants, uh, bad food, artificial light, EMF rays or whatever? What can we do to negate that to ensure our mitochondria is healthy so I can lower my biological age regardless of my chronological age? So when I have all these uh, people on here, I think it's fantastic for people in the health and fitness community because, like I said, we're fit, we're very unhealthy on a, on a whole. So if we can combine both of those worlds, I think uh, everybody would be in a much better place. You know, like I had Emily Fletcher on my podcast last week, mm -hmm. who was in charge of Ziva Meditation. And I think, you know, every bodybuilder, every athlete, every person can definitely benefit from this. So the more that I can spread out to the community that think outside the box, I think the better. We just have to find various platforms in order to reach everyone. Very good. And that was a great episode, by the way. It expanded my meditation knowledge. We we talk a lot about mindfulness on, on this podcast, but uh, we kind of stopped there. And so Emily really broadened that spectrum of what meditation is all about and how mindfulness yeah. is really just the tip of the iceberg as far as uh, a lot of different meditation practices are concerned. So very informative. We love the podcast, Chris, and we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us today. Uh, once again, we do nothing but learn on the podcast. It, it is a great experience for us. We are learning from you um, on the podcast and by going to your website, by following you on the socials, we are going to urge all our listeners to do the same. And once again, man, thanks for jumping on with us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's absolutely an honor to be on uh, your platform, guys. And much respect to you and uh, keep spreading the good word. All right. Thanks, thanks a lot, Chris. Chris. Right, thank you. And we're out. Thanks again to Chris Gethin and thank you, CEP listener. Remember that word of mouth is like gold to us, so be sure to tell your friends and fam about our most humble yet completely fantastic show. Also remember to subscribe to the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play, and you can download the show at the launching pad for all things Cerebral at thecepodcast.com. If you need to contact us, you can do that at cerebral at thecepodcast.com. And you know we love the way you love us on the socials when in fact you do love us on the socials. So give us that love on the socials, please. So until next time, please remember to keep your brains warm out there. Okay, we'll see ya.